If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll catch up to you in chapter 3 in just a moment, but I want to work through establishing our understanding of the church or the city of Corinth so we can grasp the thrust of the message the apostle delivers in the third chapter. If I were to ask you, not condescendingly, nor correctively, nor caustically, who do you think you are? You can say that in a corrective way. Who do you think you are? I'm actually trying to prompt you to consider who are you? What is your identity? Where do you find your identity? Who gives it to you? Who then can take it from you? That is, in effect, what the Apostle Paul is addressing to the believers at Corinth. Now, I'll make no bones about it. In this chapter, in chapter 3, the Apostle is going to say some really hard things. In fact, in this entire letter and the one to come, he's going to address some tough matters. It's going to cause him to speak in a straightforward fashion. And we need to understand that he is addressing an issue. He's going to use some strong language, as it were. It's going to be a little parental in nature, and it is important. You see, Corinth was an aspirational city. The citizens of Corinth were looking to advance on the ladder of social mobility, they did this by looking for influence and they were trying desperately to attain honor for themselves. One said this, the core community and core tradition of the city culture were those of trade and business, entrepreneurial pragmatism, all in the pursuit of success, not much unlike where we live. Continuing, he said, perhaps no city in the empire offered so congenial an atmosphere for individual or corporate advancement. No city in the Roman Empire offered you more of an opportunity to advance individually or corporately than the city of Corinth. Another, talking about the culture of the city and comparing it to the world in which we live, wrote this, to use terms from American culture, Schmoozing, massaging a superior's ego, rubbing shoulders with the powerful, pulling strings, scratching each other's back, dragging rivals' names through the mud, all describe what was required to attain success in this Corinthian society. We understand that. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It is all about advancement and the individual agenda. Yet another was saying Corinth was a center for trade. What that meant was it was kind of a transient society. People were often uprooted from their home culture and their hometowns to arrive in Corinth to make it big. As a result, another said Corinthians were rootless. Cut off from their country, from their background, drawn from races and districts all over the empire. And this further exacerbated the individualistic culture in the city of Corinth. Everybody was out for themselves, trying to attach themselves to the biggest name they could find in order to move forward in their day. This, unfortunately, made its way into the church at Corinth. 
If we were to take a bird's eye view of the church at Corinth, one of the things we would find was it was actually a large gathering of believers. This was not a small church. Many were converted in the city of Corinth and brought into the church. I've already referenced that the church had problems. The church is famous for problems, or maybe it's better said they're infamous for problems. You see, the church at Corinth was a cliquish church. Is there any worse church in all the world to go into than a church that is full of cliques? You know, that's a question for you to consider. I often say to people, I know this about our church. I don't think that our church is a cliquish church, but I would and have said that our church is clumpish. Not necessarily isolated off into cliques, but rather people kind of fit into their individual clumps. What I'm really saying is we're not cool enough to be cliquish, we're clumpish. That's kind of our culture. Not only was this church cliquish, everybody was following a different personality. The Christians in the church at Corinth were actually kind of snobbish. They were a little condescending. They were a little off-putting. The rich were keeping to themselves, and the poor then were keeping to themselves. They would arrive for the Lord's Supper, and the rich could arrive early, and they were having a celebration feast, as it were, and by the time the poor work-a-day laborers in the church at Corinth were arriving, there was nothing left for them. There was a lot of laxity in the church at Corinth. They were lax in their morals. They were lax in their doctrine. All of this needed to be addressed. They were even questioning the apostleship of Paul. They weren't really humble enough to submit to any kind of authority. They were taking each other to court embarrassing the name of Jesus. They were exercising their newfound freedom in Christ without ever considering what it might do to another Christian or individual in their midst. In general, they were very focused on themselves. Living in an individualistic culture, trying to advance their agenda, trying to gain prominence for their name, had crept into the church. And Paul's going to have some really hard things to say to them as I have addressed, but I find it interesting that in chapter 1, and I know I have you in chapter 3, just stay there, he begins by speaking a word of encouragement to them. And listen to explicitly how he encourages them. Verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, he's saying, I'm writing you this letter, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you, peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It intrigues me that in a letter that the apostle will have some really hard things to say, he begins by speaking a word of encouragement. But what I explicitly note in the beginning of his letter is he gives a clarification on their identity confusion. He is addressing a matter that is of utmost importance if the work of God at Corinth is to go forward. You're confused about your identity. And so he clarifies from the onset, I'm writing to you that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, to you that are called to be saints. He immediately says to them, you've been set apart by God. You are important and unique. 
Not because of what you have accomplished in life and not because of who you know. You are important and unique because you have been set apart, declared to be so by the Lord Himself in a city that measured honor and importance by the individuals to whom you were attached. He clarifies their identity confusion by saying you're attached to Jesus. It's past tense. You are the believer. You're one. I'm settling your identity from the onset. I'm giving you an affirmation in the commodity that is most important in the culture in which you dwell. And I'm telling you there's no higher association than the one you have called to be a saint. That's how he begins his letter. Now he's going to come back in chapter 3 where we're going to study and he's really going to amplify his message. So he's telling them, I grasp that you're struggling with who you think you are. I understand there's division and strife within the church and I want to bring some clarity on that. By the time we arrive at chapter 3, he is dealing with a specific problem and of all the problems in the church at Corinth. And I've already established, there were many. Only one of them causes the Apostle Paul to say, you're actually babies. You're spiritually infantile. Three times he'll say, you're carnal, you're fleshly. When you should be spiritual, you're actually capitulating to the flesh. This is strong language. This is the only problem that the Apostle Paul has to say, you're acting like a bunch of spiritual babies. And it is because of envy and strife based on division. Notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. I'd love to write a letter and talk to you of spiritual matters, but I can't. You're not spiritual people. You're still fleshly, so i got to write pretty straightforward to you. Even as unto babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. There's so much confusion, he's saying here in the church. You've forgotten who you are. Ultimately, you've forgotten who you're working with. He is not treading lightly here. He's telling them straight to their face, you're fleshly, you're carnal, you're acting like spiritual babies. When you should be under the dominion of the Holy Spirit, you're rather being dominated by your fleshly and carnal agenda. Here's what he says in verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. Here's why. There is among you envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal and walking as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? He's speaking to save people. He calls them brethren. He has said they are babes in Christ. He's acknowledging you're in Christ. You're just a spiritual infant. You're in Him, but you're a baby. That's the problem. Paul was in there in Corinth for a year and a half, but they have not grown. They have not changed. There's an identity confusion. They're chasing things that are not for them to chase. They, they had a spiritual identity, but they lived as though they were ignorant of it. So in verse 5, he starts to correct their improper thinking. Notice what he says in verse 5. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? 
But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now that's a lot of scripture we've worked through. We've worked our way all the way through verse 8. The apostle is trying to help the believers at Corinth clarify their identity. You are called to be servants of Christ. You are saints. I understand that there is division in this church. There's envying. There's strife in this place. And it's because all of you are choosing to align yourself with somebody different. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I like this. I like that. I want this. I want that. Trying to forward your standing in this society. And he begins to correct their improper thinking by saying to them, who is Paul? Who then is Apollos? He depersonalizes and he depedestals, if that's even a word, the positions. Proper spiritual thinking. Paul is saying, in effect, you ought to have been focused on the one who gives growth. That's God. That's not Paul. That's not Apollos. You should have found your identity in Christ, but instead you have focused on Apollos or Paul or who gets a pat on the back or who knows your name or who sits where. And he's saying, stop all of this. This is spiritual infancy. This is how it works out there in the world. That's carnality, not here in the church. It's time to put on your big girl or your big boy pants. It's time to grow up in Jesus. It's time to understand what really matters is that we are all servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone is a servant. That's the highest rank possible. There's no need for competition, no need for envy, no need for strife or rivalry. We're all servants of Jesus Christ. We don't rank by job or task. Everybody's serving. Now, we're going to get to one phrase that I really want to focus on. But we're taking a bird's eye view of the culture of the city of Corinth, which has crept into the church. They have forgotten ultimately who they are. Ultimately, who you are is a servant of Jesus Christ. You've been called to be a saint. You have been thinking about this improperly. You have been pursuing and chasing down affluence and influence by aligning with people and trying to see who knows your name. Stop. He arrives in verse 9 and he says this, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Who is Paul? Who is a, Why do you care who I am? That's what he's saying. Why do you care who Apollos is? Why do you care that they know your name or that you're aligned with different people? Why do you care who knows your name or what task you have or where you sit? Why do you care? Depedestal all of this. We're all servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and ultimately we're laborers together with God. He's correcting their identity understanding spiritually speaking. You and I are laborers together with God. Can you even fathom what he has just articulated? I don't know about you, but when I have to do a task, I like other people to do the task with me. It moves faster. Many hands make light work. 
I can assure you of this. If you had to build something and you needed a partner in construction, you would not want me to be your partner. I know that. You say, Pastor, what if I gave you a hammer? Can you do things with a hammer? I can do things with a hammer. I'm not saying I can do constructive things. I can do things with a hammer. I'm not a good partner in construction. The Apostle Paul has just said, you, individual believers who have been separated from the lost, who have been brought together out of this Corinthian culture into this church, who are still trying to chase things down like you're out there in Corinth, you need to grasp, ultimately, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. It does not matter who you know or who knows you. You have the highest title you can possibly get, and you are a laborer together with God. That's how you should see yourself. Who do you think you are? You're a servant of Jesus Christ, a laborer together with God. Now let's understand what he has just declared. You are a laborer together with God, a laborer. We can never forget that the work of the Lord is just that. What? Work. You say, now hold on a second, pastor. You're a pastor, right? I am. You golf most of the week, have spa days most of the week. You work a day and a half, right? That's what people think, a day and a half of work. You're wrong, but I don't care what you think. Largely, I don't care what you think. Do you recognize that according to Scripture, the work of the Lord actually requires work? One of my favorite chapters to get into in all of the Bible happened just a few pages ago in your Bible when you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's Romans chapter 16. In Romans chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is writing down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit specific names of individuals. You might wonder, why are these people hallmarked in this passage of Scripture. Why are they worth remembering? The Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit want us to focus on them, to hear, to see their names, and to remember what they've done. If we were to make it a modern thing, the Apostle Paul, as he gets to Romans chapter 16, is well-seasoned in ministry, and it's like he's got out his contact list and he's thumbing through it, and as he sees a name, he smiles or he chuckles a little bit. He has a memory pop up, and he jots a name down, and he says something about this particular individual. They're not written down because they're brilliant, or they're strong, or they're funny, or talented, or creative. They may have been all of those things. But he's writing them down, and he's saying, here's a few people who worked to preserve the church of the living God. Here's a few people who understood this wasn't their church and it wasn't his church. This is God's farm field. It's God's vineyard. It's God's building. It's the body of Christ. It doesn't belong to any individual. It's all his. And, and these people, one name after another, some of them are common stock. Some of them are noble. Actually and factually, some of them are slaves. Some of them have high political positions. But Paul's remembering all of them. Then we arrive in verse 6 of chapter 16 in Romans, and Paul writes something that seems so simple. He writes, greet Mary, who bestowed much labor upon us. Now remember, these are letters. And in chapter 16, verse 6, he says, greet Mary, say hi to Mary. 
Tell Mary hi from the Apostle Paul. And he says, here's what Mary did. She bestowed much labor. Why was Mary worth remembering? According to the Apostle Paul, because she bestowed much labor upon. The work of the Lord requires work. We are laborers together with God. One of the things that must stand out to us as individual Christians is this. If we are not working in the work of the Lord, then we are not doing what God expects of us. We are laborers together with God. The very Greek word that is used, remember Mary, she labored much on our behalf, means worn out, to grow weary, to work with great effort. You say, what exactly did Mary do? I don't know. What was Mary's spiritual gifting? I don't know. But I think it's probable that Mary showed up early, that Mary stayed late, and that Mary actually did work for the cause of Christ to go forward that caused her to actually feel physical exertion. Maybe she locked up. Maybe she cleaned up. Maybe she prepared food. Maybe she visited the sick. Whatever it was that Mary did, the Apostle Paul says, I'm asking you to remember her. And the Holy Spirit shines a light on her, not because she's brilliant or creative or strong or funny or outgoing, and she may have been all of those things. It's because she worked really hard. The spirit of Mary is still what's behind all that happens in the church even 2,000 years later. Work. In verse 12, note this, Romans 16, see this. He writes, salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute. Say hello to Tryphena and Tryphosa. Those are some rough names, right? Tryphena and Tryphosa. We don't have those kinds of names, so when we read them, they look like Greek words or it seems like some ancient text. It is an ancient text, but they were real people. Many scholars believe that Tryphena and Tryphosa were twin sisters. They also believe that Persis was another sister. What I find interesting is Tryphena and Tryphosa in the Greek, their names actually mean dainty and delicate, like a lot of you men that are here this morning. Dainty and delicate. And the Apostle Paul says pointedly, salute dainty and delicate. Why? Because they labored in the Lord. And while you're at it, the beloved Persis, don't forget her name. And he says it past tense, which labored much in the Lord, indicating to us that it's probable Persis was already in heaven, but he does not want her legacy to be forgotten. She was a really hard worker for Jesus. We have become in the modern church like the Corinthian culture. This has crept into the church of the living God, into the body of Christ, where everybody has become a specialist and everybody has become somewhat important and everybody has the freedom to merely spectate. And the Apostle Paul is cutting through it and saying, who do you think you are? Well, I'm a teacher. 
Well, I'm a banker. Well, I'm a mom. Well, I'm a dad. And he says, no, no, no. Here, let me correct some of your identity confusion. You're a servant of Christ called to be a saint. And I know that the way you're seeing things is like you're pursuing some kind of position or you're gaining or garnering influence because this person knows your name or that person knows your name and you're trying to glom on to somebody else to climb up the ladder. And he says, let me correct your thinking. You are a laborer together with God. It's God's husbandry. It's God's building. It's not mine it's not yours. And if you are not working hard, you're not doing what God wants you to do. Can you imagine if the angels went to God and said, now God, in the Bible it says that they're laborers together with you down there. Mm -hmm. What's it like working with Chris? I wonder if God would say, never shows up on time. No, what's it like working with Chris? He's one of the good ones, right? And I am I'm one of the good ones. Would he say things like, you know, he never holds up his end of the bargain. I'm the one doing everything. If, if, I, if everything had to belong to Chris to do, it just wouldn't get done. And, and one of the things that we have gotten past in the modern church is that the work of God takes work. You say, well, my work has come kind of like the silent prayer in the closet. Great. That's a whole other message, and we need you. You say, well, my work is I'm kind of a big giver. We really need you. That's another message. But you cannot escape. We're laborers together with God. And in Romans chapter 16, the amplification of that word is physical exertion, working to the point of exhaustion, doing something for God that matters and that counts. And get this, hold on, that takes time. You say, now I get it. You're trying to build an empire. You're trying to just bump up the army of volunteers here. No, I'm telling you what matters within Scripture. If you are not working to the point of fatigue in the cause of Jesus Christ, you're missing out and you're failing your co-laborer, God. We are laborers together with God. What does that mean? That means ultimately, this is not my church. And this is not your church. We're working together in God's husbandry, in his vineyard, in his field. We're, we're building together God's building. If we're going to work together with God, what exactly does that mean? Well, that means we've got to build on the right foundation. That's what that means. Well, what foundation is that? Here's what Paul says in verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation... Another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The ultimate foundation for the work of God and why you do what you do is not because Paul or Apollos see it or know it or you align with them. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus and it's only Jesus. In fact, he said this in chapter 2, I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What are we doing? 
Who do you think you are? You are a servant called to be a saint, a laborer together with God, which means you've got to put in some effort. What is it that I am doing together with God? I'm building on the right foundation. The foundation is Jesus. I must be telling people about Jesus. If I'm not physically exerting myself and telling people about Jesus, I'm not upholding my end of the bargain. Then he goes on. Not only must we build on the right foundation, we must build with the right material. Materials. Here's what he says in verse 12. Now, if any man build on this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire that shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. What are the right materials that we build with? I think what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is the doctrine of Scripture. He says gold and silver and precious stones. He's talking about abiding things. He's talking about permanent things versus temporary things like wood and hay and stubble. He is saying if you're ever going to build what God wants you to build, you must build on this. You must preach this, you must teach this, you must not pervert this, you must not twist this, you must stick to this. This is what matters. This is gold. This is silver. This is precious stones. If you're going to work together with God, you stick to the doctrine of Scripture. Grasp this. If I preached, if I had a notebook, and over the course of 12 months, I just jotted down what everybody told me I needed to preach or what I needed to say, or how I needed to say it, I don't think I'd ever have to come up with another sermon series. How people say, here's what you need. You know what you need to say? You know what you need to preach? You know how you need to say this? There was a woman here last week. You know what I think you need to say? There was a guy here. He was here Wednesday. You know what you should say? Well, you'll tell me, and I think to myself, well, that had no impact on me, so I'm doubting it's going to have an impact on them. You should preach this. You should preach that. There's pressure in the world in which we live on all sides to walk away from the doctrine of Scripture. Do you understand that? There is an agenda afoot in our world that makes us increasingly extreme to only stand on the principles of Scripture. There is pressure to pervert and to twist and to back off the doctrine of Scripture. And Paul says, that's not for you to decide. You're a laborer together with God. You stick to the doctrine of Scripture. But there is a ditch on the other side of the road, and there is pressure from people to preach their tradition and their ideas idea and their preference and you better stay over there and scream and shout and spit and fume preach this say this and we must always stick with the doctrine of scripture don't give in to that which is temporary on the right foundation that is Jesus and only Jesus with the right materials that is the doctrine of scripture never perverted never twisted never walk away from it and for the right motive And what the right motive is, we pick up in verse 21. Therefore, he writes, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours. And ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. He's all the way back to telling us about our identity. You are are Christ's, and Christ's is God's, and the right motive for doing what you do is the glory of God. 
The members of the Corinthian church, saved out of the Corinthian culture, had brought in a carnal mindset. They had begun to view themselves as specialists. They had begun to view themselves as upwardly mobile, working through a career arc as far as the work of God was concerned. They were trying to attach themselves to personalities and names and individuals and causes. They were trying to push their agenda and get what they wanted out of it. And Paul steps in and he cuts a clean path and he says, stop, you're a servant called to be a saint. He depersonalizes and depedestals everybody. We're all on the same team, pushing forward, laborers together with God. Jesus is the foundation, the scripture is the material, and God's glory is the motive. Don't ever get it twisted. Now stop and let it settle in as we close. Only one problem caused the Apostle Paul to say, you're acting like babies. When I should be able to talk to you like spiritual people, instead I'm having to talk to you like carnal people, you need to figure out you're a laborer together with God. It's his husbandry, it's his building. We don't like to think of the work of God being work, but it's work. You say, now pastor, do you think people will feel pressure to sign up to work in the nursery? I don't know. I don't think so. I hope not. I'm not pressuring you to work. I don't want to work in the nursery. Do you think people are just going to like hang out in the lobby and try to lock the building up now and run vacuums and clean chairs? I'm not trying to build a volunteer army for Graceway. But I will tell you this, and with this I will close. You're busy people in a crowded world. And what tends to get pushed off of our plate and what tends to get pushed down the agenda list and what tends to get slid off to the side is the stuff where God comes into play. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, you better grasp who you really are. You better understand when all of this is said and done and all of this is over, it's not about what you did it's about who you were associated with. And I'm not talking about Paul or Apollos or Cephas. I'm talking about Jesus. And, and, and with all of life wearing you out and with all of the pressure that ceaselessly is on you and with all of the stuff that comes across your plate, stop shoving the work of God off to the side and remember what really, remember who you really are. Remember your identity. Whatever you think you are, Paul says, you remember you're a laborer together with God. Would you please for just a moment bow your heads? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week. <music>